This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have a special guest. He is the executive managing director of a company called JLL, James Quinn. To give you a little brief rundown on James, he has over 25 years of experience in corporate real estate technology services. He's the author of Tech Trends 24 7 and the Impact of COVID 19. And that book made the CIO Insights recommended books for CIOs list. James, welcome to the show. Albert, it's great to be here. Uh, Really happy to be on the the podcast today and looking forward to our discussion. Absolutely. But before we get too far, let's start with the company, JLL. You know, we did a little homework. We see that it's in the Fortune 500, but it's one of those companies where maybe a lot of people haven't heard of it unless they've dealt directly with you. They might not know too much about it. So if you could, for our audience, what is JLL and what does it do? Sure. JLL is a uh, global commercial real estate company. We have offices throughout the world. Uh, We're a Fortune uh, 200 company. It's a place where we help major corporations, technology companies, startups, you know, with really a huge suite of services in terms of offices, technologies. And, you know, our specialty is that we help them with their technology portfolios globally. Yeah. And when you say technology portfolio, does it have to be, I'm assuming it has to be a physical footprint portfolio because, you know, we checked out your LinkedIn and stuff like that. You definitely seem knowledgeable in data center, co-location, hybrid workspaces, like anything physical property. Is that what you're advising on? Yes, that that's absolutely. That's the list. But then, you know, we are starting to help clients out with, you know, cloud spend, looking at the metrics there. Um, Network spend is another area, which is key today. So I think that uh, you covered all the areas, making making my uh, life easy here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> hey, listen, we do our homework, right? But we always got to confirm just because, just in case. But you know, one of the things about having you on as a guest right now is we are in an interesting time frame right now. We're not going to beat around the bush. We know that the market is quite uncertain right now. There's companies currently announcing layoffs. We know that the move to hybrid is here. So things are changing super fast. What? are your customers, businesses, what are they asking of you right now? Because they just went through a huge seismic shift to, you know, a lot of companies went at minimum to hybrid. Yes, right? correct. And now there's another seismic shift that seems to be coming right now, which is they might not need this space much at all. Like this, things are happening. What are customers asking of you and JLL? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And there are multiple answers. You know, in terms of, you know, if you look at kind of the future of office, I think that, you know, COVID was a great accelerator of technology. And from the standpoint of when people were going to the office five days a week or four days a week, and now, you know, a lot of companies are really focused on, you know, hybrid work and then making the office now an experience to go to and very collaborative place. They're really trying to figure out still today, as, you know, COVID is hopefully in the rear view mirror, you know, what is their organization going to look like? And how are they going to use their space as really recruiting for the war of talent? So we've been advising them in terms of optionality, like, you know, what are you looking at in terms of your physical footprint? And then really, how do you make it, you know, an experience where it really conveys collaboration and really people want to be engaged in the workplace? And so what does that look like for the future? Because 
We saw this cool article on Connected Real Estate Magazine. It talked about JLL working on like hybrid flex spaces, uh, which had more focus on its connectivity, its AV equipment, its ability to book rooms. Give us an idea of what investments that you're making, your customers are making, and how does this look? And let's say, the, I mean, I guess it's already here. The next two, three, maybe four years, what's it look like? Yeah, no, I think, you know, we're actually, uh, our office is at 330 Madison Avenue, and um, we recently refreshed our space. And it was after, you know, kind of, you know, incorporated what what we're seeing and talking to our clients. And every conference room got a complete technology upgrade of, you know, all like in terms of video conferencing. And we actually have like a, a studio that's great for, you know, the screen is more or less the whole room. So in terms of making interactive um, presentations, so it's very collaborative. Um, it's it's very kind of bespoke from the standpoint. There are uh, multiple seating areas, so you can really you know experience different parts of the office. It's not like you're you're locked into your desk. And really, the the theme of it is encouraging collaboration. Plus, you know, it's just not us, but other other organizations are are hiring. You know, it's kind of a new kind of position experience managers and experience managers are, you know, their focus is really what they can do when you come into the office that makes it a great experience. And that is if, you know, all of a sudden you have a yoga, you know, so somebody comes in yoga for the day or, you know, the best coffee that you can have and really looking at making it a very engaging place that when the people want to be here, they're, they're excited to be here and want to really participate in the fabric of the organization. So what does it look like from a technology perspective that what would it take what it what does it take to do this kind of stuff? You mentioned that like immersive screen experience in the article we read that talked about tier one fiber broadband throughout the whole thing, client portals to actually not only book rooms digitally, but physically there. You're talking about interconnection. Give us an idea of what what does it take to do this? And, you know, I'd love to hear if there's any feedback already on what this looks like and, you know, how if this is really our office space of the future. Yeah. So I think that, you know, as it relates to the technology, you know, in terms of being able to to book your conference room over via an app, when you think about it, some of the space historically has been pretty straightforward is you have your windowed offices and you have your cubicles. Going forward, you know, it's really different seating areas, as I mentioned before, really great technology. So in terms of Wi-Fi and interconnectivity, it's really to the, the highest level, just because everybody wants optionality, they want uh, mobility when they come to work. Have these new immersive optional experience workplaces, are they currently being deployed? Are you seeing them deployed? Or does it encourage more productivity? Does it encourage people to come back? Because I know for example, like we'll see in the news, some companies want their employees back, right? Some companies are like fine with remote, but there's definitely a bunch that are saying, hey, you got to come here. Elon just announced to Twitter, like, hey, you got to come back. You know what I mean? Like this is, you know, I'm not here to debate whether the benefits or merits of remote versus hybrid or whatever, but I am curious if companies are seeing increased productivity because of these new like setups. I think that they are. And I think that, you know, every company really has a different vision. You know, it's interesting, you know, American Express came out. It was there was an article in the Wall Street Journal where you had optionality. If you wanted to be, you know, at the uh, office four or five days a week, great. Right. If you wanted to be hybrid two or three days, fine. If you wanted to be remote, that's great. So it really was kind of what people wanted to do. But then, you know, a lot of financial institutions, 
And like, you know, you mentioned, you know, Elon Musk saying, look, we want our employees back. People are doing that. And, you know, our office has been very vibrant. You know, New York City during the pandemic was actually a very quiet place. But now it's really, it's back, it's thriving. It's not, you know, to where the pre-pandemic was, but there is buzz, there's buzz in the office. You know, it um, in terms of the amenities that we have here, it's like, you know, when you're working hard, you want to be here. It just has a good vibe to the to the uh, space. And, and the technology really helps that. So when you think about for your big customers at JLL, you know, they're coming to you and saying, hey, we need some help. We need some support. We need to understand what to do with our footprint. How are we going to build and how are we going to optimize our physical spaces? What does that look like? Because for a lot of us, like when I sit down here, that's like, I don't really understand it. You know, when I think of it, because you would think it's simple. Hey, I have this many employees. I need this many seats. Like it sounds simple to me, but I know it's complicated, more complicated than that. What is uh, JLL advising on and how does that, I guess, help the customers make these decisions? Yeah. So we have a, a workplace strategy group that they have a separate department that they'll come uh, to us to meetings and understand, look at the client's particular space. And really understand in terms of the physical layout, the age of it. What you know, there's a whole assessment. You know, what kind of technology do they have? What are their goals and objectives going forward? And they take all that information, and then they come back to say, you know, based upon what you told us, based upon your footprint, based upon kind of your current configuration of space. You know, these are some ideas that we have, and what we're seeing some of your peers doing, as well as other corporations, and give them real real-time case studies, what other organizations are doing. And they really feel very good about that because it really gives them a great sense of intelligence of what groups are doing and what they can do, especially when we see what their layouts are, what their you know kind of corporate culture goals are, and what they want to do going forward. Can you give us an example of how that looks? Because you know, as you say these things, it sounds simple, but you know, for someone who's not as involved in this space, you know, like I'm sitting here thinking like, well, how much difference and unique things can be actually be done with physical space? I don't even know. Like, it's just, it sounds more like architecture, but I know it's not architecture because you guys do technology advisory on real estate. So that's where I, I'd love for our audience to learn even more about, because I have a feeling we have, we definitely have some companies that, and CEOs and CIOs and CTOs that are listening to our show right now that aren't quite there yet, but they might be. Yeah. Well, no, I, I think that Again, you know, it's really a discovery. And the more we can understand an organization in terms of, you know, what their pain points are, kind of looking at also what are the commuting patterns of their workforce? That's another key area. The other trend that we're seeing is that, you know, there's been a migration to the top flight buildings they are in the respective cities, but also people want to be, you know, in terms of transportation hubs. It's kind of the hub and spoke whereby, if my office is at 3.30 Madison and I'm directly across the street from Grand Central, and then I have a satellite office in Stanford, Connecticut, that's like, for example, at one Metro, you walk off the train and then you walk right into your Stanford office. So connectivity from a physical presence is a big objective, as well as really to being in uh, buildings that have the greatest technology, as well as address sustainability and, you know, really kind of knock it out of the park for sustainability as well as amenities. You know, you mentioned sustainability now a handful of times. We've had guests in the past talk about that's one of the biggest priorities for a lot of companies. Uh, we had the diligent CEO. She was on our show and she was talking about, and they do government advisory and insurance. She said it was one of the biggest priorities across their customers 
about, hey, they want to be part of a sustainable future. What does that mean for a company like JLL? Because obviously a lot of us recognize sustainability from possibly food, transportation, and so on. How does a building help in sustainability? Yeah, yeah, sure. And you know, the, the other great thing, it's like, you know, I feel like I'm in the commercial real estate candy store because we have a sustainability group that we work with. And similar to the workplace strategy group, they really understand what the, the client's sustainability objectives are. And then, you know, how are they going to get there? You know, where, what's their current state? And then what are they, where do they want to go from a carbon footprint standpoint? And then, you know, they'll give them, they'll work with them on a roadmap in terms of how to get there. And what are you seeing, I guess, some of the big first steps to take? I think, it, you know, it, it's again, it's an audit of your space and also the buildings. Like, you know, what's the lead certification as the building that you're going in? Or what is the current status of the building's lead certificate? You know, where is the building that they're in? stand and landlords and tenants are working together really to get the standards to the highest from a lead standpoint. And then it all comes down to what kind of materials are they buying? What, you know, with the theme of how they can improve in sustainability with every facet of their operations, our sustainability group goes in there to give them suggestions based upon what others are doing and just on their experience in terms of, you know, what they've seen and what the hurdles are. You know, for example, if you're buying, you want to reduce your carbon footprint and you're buying, you know, in terms of credits for that, what there's a whole strategy as, as it relates to that as well. We're going to talk about data centers too and technology. You know, obviously data centers, you know, really draw a big um, carbon footprint. And New York City actually uh, uh, just overlaid new sustainability laws where each building as well as data centers have to reduce your carbon footprint. And you really have to, you have to, you need programs to really to get there by a certain date. It's spurred a whole new industry in terms of how do you solve for that? I guess who bears the burden of that responsibility? It seems like the landlords or the owners of the physical properties. It's both. Okay. But in the tenants, it's splitting it to the tenants as well? Yeah. Well, because it's the tenant space. You want to be accountable for your space. So I think it's a, it's another big area that's a, a big focus. You know, the, the future, the future of the office is going to really simultaneously be very sustainable in its in its practice, which is great. You know, one of the things that's pretty cool is you know, of course, you have that book, Tech Trends 24-7, the impact of COVID-19. I'm curious for yourself, you know, what other things, because your book is beyond just commercial real estate. I we got a chance to get a little, you know, check out a couple of portions uh, or I guess anecdotes from it. But for anyone who's not familiar, it talks about uh, digital transformation uh, from smart cities to digital twins to office corporate technology, which we've discussed, also advances in home music, sports technology. Let's start there. What was your inspiration for writing this? It's a great question. So I just, you know, been in real estate, you know, for uh, all my career. And um, I just was kind of lucky where I found one or two corporations that wanted to really find switch locations all across the country because they were building out the the internet at the time, you know, and they needed not office space, but they needed data center switches. So we probably did, you know, 50 and 50 markets. It was like 5 million square feet of data centers. And I was like, wow, look at the impact of this is having to real estate. So I was always interested in really the crossroads of real estate and technology. And then, you know, kind of our major focus of our practice is that you know we help firms not only with their traditional real estate portfolios, 
but their technology portfolios. And their technology portfolios every year are getting more important. Just in terms of getting familiar with your podcast, I listened to a couple episodes, and I thought really one that really hit a nerve with me was when you uh, talked with Isaac on Digital Trailblazer, yeah, because he was talking about the whole digital transformation process. And that's, you know, as a result of, you know, really where technology innovation is going. And everyone likes to talk about digital transformation. But kind of what we solve for is really, you know, in these economic clouds that we're in right now, what's the cost basis for each thing that you're considering doing? as well as how do you dress your entire portfolio? Because you're not going to transform digitally in two hours, right? You have legacy assets that you have to deal with, and you need really good advice in terms of really getting optics around, okay, this is the current state. Where do you want to go? How can we give you strategies that you're going to save money on your co-location sites, on your cloud spend? on your data centers that you own and your operating expenses are very high, what's the game plan there? And then what's the market value of those own sites? Because eventually you're probably going to want to do a hybrid cloud strategy where you're going into colos and the cloud. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because we've also seen a desire as cloud costs have risen, right? And I'm sure you've seen this across your customers as well. There is now a desire for some people like, wait, we should probably run some of this ourselves because it's. I guess it's now crept past a little bit of the benefit that it originally promised, especially as like the cost of real estate has continued to rise. Data centers have to, of course, account for that. Uh, their loans, are, exactly. their debt service gets bigger and bigger. Uh- <laughs> exactly. I'll give you a good example of that. So I, I just hired a new team member. We recruited her out of Oracle. All she did was during the day, she talked with CIOs and CFOs you know, just really what, like, what, you know, what's their journey? How's it going? And, you know, the biggest point to what you mentioned is that, you know, everybody did the transformation and now they're like looking at, okay, what's, what's the cost? And they're like, you know what, maybe we, we, we do take some on-prem back because, you know, maybe long-term we don't have to do this model. So it's really kind of an interesting time because a lot of people had pressure in terms of to do the transformation. A lot of people did it great. There's some people maybe didn't do it so well, but you know now you're almost like taking a half step back, like, okay, what components do we want to analyze? And in this economic time that we're in, how can we do it? Because you know our advice is totally agnostic. You know Whatever technology solution that you think is the best for you, we put numbers on, we want to make sure that it makes sense. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of companies are now reinvestigating that now that we're in a time where, let's say, cost-cutting measures or an austerity is coming, right? It's, or it's here. You can just say it's here. People are going to be evaluating every dollar that they have, right? Whether it's in physical real estate, as you suggested, investments in the future, cloud spend today, they're going to make some bets. They're going to make some bets and say, hey, I want to bring this on-prem. Hey, this can stay in cloud. And like you said, I'm going to sunset certain buildings and I might open different ones, different facilities, like these new hybrid experiential places, because there's many companies are talking about, hey, we we're going to go and make even more investments, but we want people to come back together. Definitely when we see in like the tech industry, like if I were to, you know, look at Twitter or look at LinkedIn again, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, you know, and of the CTOs we've talked to, like I would say this about recessions, right? People tend to want to innovate faster, but they want to do it with less, meaning less costs, you know, and that's going to happen. Absolutely. You know, to give you an example, uh, we met with a major firm 
and it was kind of around the holiday season. So, you know, always that time of year, people are really stressed for time. And, you know, it was the first meeting. So, you know, they were like, look, we'll give you like 10 minutes, right? I'm, I'm exaggerating, <laughs> but it was like 15, right? Yeah. And then, so we kind of like walked through what our playbook is and what we do. And then we left an hour and a half later and they said, you know what? Nobody's really come to talk to us about this. And, you know, we'd like to sign an NDA, you know, we'll give you the information. If you guys could come and give us suggestions. So we we went through, we did the whole analysis on the portfolio. We came back with our findings and we found one or two really kind of high profile suggestions and strategies where they could really save money at the same time, you know, upgrade their technology. So it was uh, it was great. And they were very happy just because we do the initial assessment, you know, just to as to get to know the firm. And, you know, they've been acquired now for the last five years. You know, what's interesting about the industry you play in the, with the real estate and physical space is, you know, when we talk about 10x engineering, a lot of times here at the show, we talk about cost savings. But when it comes to real estate, man, it, you know, for, for those of you listening, for a lot of companies, real estate costs are, let's say, the second most expensive thing they carry on their PL, right? Behind payroll, right? So, if you're talking about even a few percentage points in any direction, it's it adds up big. Uh, it adds up huge. And if you're helping people, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it is. That's just a fact of it. It just is. Albert, that's why we're so busy. It's, it's, a, it's a good space to be in because we're, we're we're really trying to drive value. I mean, it's it's a like you said, it's a big cost. Yeah, exactly, Larry. So like for for people that are a lot of CIOs and CTOs we talk to, they're trying to save you know ten times their costs or whatever, cut efficiency by big numbers. It's like, man, in real estate, if you can cut it 2%, it's like, yo, you've just saved quite a number. And I know that your your clients are pushing you in many directions. You know, one of the things we were in our homework about you is we saw that you're also really involved in a pretty interesting nonprofit, Beacon of Hope, that merges technology with humanitarian help. Tell our audience, what is Beacon of Hope 365? Yeah, no, thanks thanks for the question, because it's something that, you know, um, writing a book is a difficult thing. And to be completely honest, when I first started, I thought it was like the worst idea because I had tremendous writer's block. I was like, you know, I really need to come up with it. I'm going to put my name on something. It has to be pretty good. So, but just like with anything, you keep at, keep at it. But during the research, Albert, when I was looking and, and researching for the book, I was amazed in terms of how technology was helping people in need. And it kind of really, it hit a nerve with me. And I was like, boy, you know, if you can get behind this and, and start a new charity to really focus on this and you can help people, uh, you know, I, I was really inspired. So um, when I was doing my research for the book, I came across a company called Open Bionics. They're based out of the UK and they, they have produced the first 3D printed bionic hand and arm. They call it the hero arm. So we basically have been working with them. They have people that reach out to them, say they're limb challenged. Uh, there was a great person. We've helped uh, uh, numerous people, but the, the column that he was in the UK, he had a campaign whereby, you know, he was just born without his, one of his hands. You know, he tells the story that his dad was a salesman and every couple of years he moved to another school. Wasn't the easiest thing, right? Because kids are curious. They come up and ask you. So when we uh, helped him get a hero arm, it, the transformation went from people asking questions to say, oh my God, you look like Iron Man. That is like the coolest thing I've ever seen. And it's, you know, it's a bionic hand that he can, you know, throw a Frisbee and help him in terms of uh, every day. And it's transformed his life. 
So when we started doing those projects, we keep on doing more. You know, there are always things that are positive about technology and also negative, but we really wanted to focus on the positive here. And uh, we're very uh, driven to keep, keep it going. Listen, I think that is extremely noble. Being born without an arm or a limb is going to be challenged. And then the medical costs of getting a comparable or a quality prosthetic is quite high. And, it's, and that's just the way it is. And if you're, un, you know, some people are born into situations where they can afford a prosthetic, others, they can't, you know, any way to help, especially like kids, like you just said, you know, helping a kid throw a Frisbee, like that's pretty darn cool. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's something that's pretty darn cool. You, I can get behind that every day. That uh, I appreciate you saying that. And like when, you know, you mentioned children, you know, children grow. So, you know, the hero arm that they have, you know, when they're seven or six, yeah, won't is fit. it going to be the same one that they have 15, right? So that's not, a, that's, that's an expensive, you know, journey. And the more that we can help people, we're inspired to do it. Well, that's awesome. Well, James, it was awesome having you on the show. Thanks for sharing a lot about JLL. Thanks about sharing. You know, it's just an industry we just don't know too much about. You know, I think it's easy for someone who's not as familiar with commercial real estate to just say, oh, what's the difference? You're just buying square footage. You you know, you just need internet and just throw some people in there. But it's not how people are thinking about it anymore. And so I thought it was awesome hearing some of that. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is a way for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. James, this is where we ask you questions outside the world of work so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. You ready? Ready to go. How did you first fall in love with technology? What was the gadget, gizmo, or thing that you experienced where you're like, wow, this is interesting? Uh, you know, I've always been a fan of uh, uh, Apple. And the innovation, you know, so anything that Apple innovated that I was a consumer of. And then, you know, it, it, 2007 is a long time ago. But, you know, if you watch Steve Jobs' uh, you know, presentation of the iPhone, I just think it's that's technology. So um, any Apple related thing I, I uh, usually have. My kids tease me because I always I always get the latest upgrade. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm one of those people that like so I was 27 when that presentation came out. And I remember thinking to myself. What is the big deal? I like buttons. I was one of those people that <laughs> you know I mean? remember. I was like, I was like, this is never going to work, man. I like typing on my buttons. Like, what if I mistouch it? You know, like this is going to this is a terrible idea. And that's why he's Steve Jobs, and I'm just some guy. <laughs> that's right. And also with the BlackBerry too. You like you said you like the way to feel typing, but you know he he knew better than us. <laughs> <laughs> he did. There was that little bit of resistance at the beginning, but that obviously faded away quite quickly. When you were younger, were you interested in technology as a kid or were, did it not really switch on until you were an adult? No, you know, I was always interested in kind of the space program that, you know, really kind of when you think you blast off in a rocket and you're going into space, that's a pretty cool, cool thing. So I was always interested in kind of NASA and what they were doing as well. So if you're interested in NASA, then how did you land in commercial real estate, man? Well, you know, it's a good question. So my father was a shopping center developer. And I would always, uh, he would always, you know, want me to go to the grand openings, which, you know, very, he worked six months in terms of get the construction and all the tenants in and the mayor comes down to the town and we have a big ribbon cutting. And I just, you know, real estate, there's something interesting about it. You meet so many different people from, you know, kind of different parts of the world and different parts of the country. So it kind of resonated on me. So my love for real estate really was kind of um, generated from my father. There you go. What was the hardest part about writing your book? You mentioned you got writer's block a lot. How did you get over it? 
you know, it's just like with anything, you just kept at it. I wrote, I would write a little each day. And, you know, at the beginning, I, I, I didn't like what I was writing, which, you know, made it harder. But it was a good process to go through because I really, the more and more I worked at it, the more I had a framework of, okay, now I know what I'm going to say and how I'm going to do it. And then it got a lot easier. All right. If someone was thinking about writing a book, what tip would you tell them? You know, I, I think that um, you should take your time with it. A lot of people like, oh, I have to get it done. So, you know, be methodical about it. Get some advice along the way. I got some really good advice because just, you know, if something you want to do, you want to talk to somebody like, hey, what was the journey like? So you kind of understand what you're getting yourselves into. So those that would be my two uh, nuggets. I like that. You know, I, as someone, I just wrote a book also. It's more of a how-to book versus, so I didn't have to be like literary prose. It's not out yet, but uh, I got a piece of advice similar to yours, but it was a little bit different. The person said, hey, listen, don't worry about making it good. Just get it done because making it sound good comes in the editing phase. You got to get your ideas on paper. And so like, kind of like you were saying, don't beat yourself up too much. I'm like, yeah, that's that's the way he told me. Like, don't beat yourself up. Just get your ideas on paper and then you'll edit and massage it into something glorious. That's, oh, that's good advice. What What's the name of the book? Well, it's a it's a guide to how to operate uh, Section Eight properties. So I'm I'm not in the big commercial, uh, more like townhomes and condos, but it was a fun experience for sure. Oh, that sounds great! That sounds really good. Yeah. Well, James, it was awesome having you on the show. You know, it was fun talking to you and hearing of all the things that JLL does. You know, when we see companies like it's not often we hear about a company or get a guest on our show that works at a company. And for those of you who are not familiar. JLL is already publicly traded. You can go check out their stock price at JLL. It has over 10,000 employees of which LinkedIn claims there's 76,000 people on LinkedIn that claim they work at JLL. This is a massive company. If you're very curious about it, go check them out. James, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Albert, it was a great discussion. Thank you for having me. You have a great podcast and I uh, really appreciate the exchange today. <music>